0: through Jesus, our Savior. And Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes of faith tonight, that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I reckon if we were to take a poll tonight uh, about where y'all come from, many of you would come from small towns, perhaps small towns throughout the southeast, small towns across our country. I, I doubt there are any towns as small as the 13 towns in the United States all named Lucas. I've actually driven through one of those Lucases, those Lucas towns, Lucas, Mississippi. Some of you might have driven through that little town also. It's on US 84 between Prentice, Mississippi and Brookhaven. And all that is there at Lucas, Mississippi is a road sign, a road, a church called Lucas Church. And according to the internet, at one point there was a Lucas School. That's it. I I had to stop to take a picture of the road sign because I was shocked to find, at that time at least, uh, a town named after the Lucases. So Lucas, Mississippi. It it got me to wondering, I wonder if there's anyone famous who ever made their way out of Lucas, Mississippi. I I doubt it. It's not a very big place. But, But we wonder that, don't we? Those of us who come from small towns or or those of us who drive across our country and wander through small towns we see the signs celebrating those who who left those small towns and became significant even famous if you drive through drew mississippi as i have you know that's the home of archie manning or indianola mississippi of course that's bb king's hometown charleston mississippi that's morgan freeman's hometown Haley Barber was born in Greenwood, Mississippi. Of course, he grew up at Yazoo. So these small towns produce athletes and musicians and famous actors and political leaders. And we celebrate them rightly because after all, it's a bit surprising. It's, it's a bit surprising that a small town, a little place, a crossroads even, could produce someone so significant that's actually in the background of our text this this evening. Micah mentions this small town Bethlehem Ephrathah. And the context in which he mentions this small town is actually profoundly surprising because this small place is going to produce not simply someone significant like an athlete, a musician, an actor, a politician. No, this small town actually will give hope to the world. And certainly Israel needed hope because their situation is described by verse 1 as one of, of sorrow and humiliation. You see, Micah, this Old Testament prophet, is prophesying around 722 B.C. If you know Bible history, you know that date is significant. 722 B.C. is when the Assyrians come to Israel They will ultimately conquer the northern ten tribes, we call them Israel, their capital is Samaria, and they will lay siege to the capital of Judah, the southern two tribes, which we know as, of course, Jerusalem. That gives you then the context of verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Siege has been laid to Jerusalem. Hezekiah is king of Judah at this point. Of course, you know from the rest of the Bible, certainly, that, that God will deliver his people. Sennacherib, who is laying siege to Israel, to, to Jerusalem at this moment, when Micah prophesies, will ultimately be, be called away. His ruler has other purposes and plans, and the siege will be lifted. But God had warned judah earlier in this prophecy that that the assyrians may be bad someone worse is coming the babylonians if you have your bibles open you just look a few verses before in chapter 4 verse 10 writhe and groan o daughter of zion like a woman in labor for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country you shall go to babylon and that's exactly what happened the last king of judah In 586 BC, Zedekiah would not only be struck on the cheek, his sons would be killed before him by the Babylonians, and then his eyes plucked out, and he and many, many others will be taken into exile. 50,000 people would die because of the, the attack on Jerusalem By the Babylonians. And when they get to Babylonians, the the, the songs that God's people will sing, they're actually memorialized in the Old Testament book called the Psalms. Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. You see, Micah prophesies of a day that is profoundly hopeless. God's people in exile, taken away from the promised land, their king no more. Their city no more. Their, their temple burned to the ground. The wall destroyed. All that's left is nothing. Nothing that anyone would remember or want. Theirs was a condition of sorrow and humiliation. The last couple of years have brought on us a lot of difficulty, haven't they? A lot of challenges, not just because of our health, uh, just because of work, uh, but because of our culture and what our culture has been going through. Even within our church, we've known struggle and difficulty. Personally, as we look at our own hearts and lives, as we know what we've been going through, we know what it is to sorrow. We know what it is to grieve. We know what it is to wonder, Lord, what is, what are you doing right now? Why are you laying siege to me? Why are you laying siege to us? Why is it that you're striking us on the cheek? If you're like me at all, you might wonder, is there any possibility of hope in this? As we know sorrow and humiliation, as we know sadness and difficulty, as we struggle on, is there any hope? Well, that was the situation of God's people, and ever it is again. And it's in the midst of that that questioning, is there any hope for a people who sorrow? Is there any hope for a people who know brokenness? Is there any hope for those who've been humiliated, that that Micah gives a surprising word. In fact, the surprising word centers on the fact that hope comes from the most unlikely place. That's where verse 2 comes in. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, you are so familiar with those words. You don't know how surprising that is. It's as though we, had, it is, we might say some other small town, but you, Lucas, Mississippi, who are too little to be counted among the clans of the state of Mississippi, from you shall come the president of the United States, the ruler of the free world. I mean, it would be that kind of surprise, in the midst of our sorrow, and humiliation, and difficulty, that hope would come from such an unlikely place. And yet it is. This is the surprise that God has for us, that in the most unlikely way, in the, from the most unlikely place, he might give us hope. In fact, he has four hope-supplying surprises for his people in this passage. And the first one is a ruler, I mean that's ultimately what verse two is about, that there would be a, a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Those of us who grew up on the old King James Version and we memorize that verse from all the Christmas plays we were in, we we might know that it says, Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so we might have reflected on Micah 5.2 as is, is this is a prophecy concerning one who is, who is divine, that this is a divine ruler who's coming forth. Well, there are other Old Testament passages that tell you that. That's not what this passage is doing. Actually, the Hebrew is actually quite close to the way our ESV translated it here. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, which means then, what is it saying? Well, I think what's going on here is that Micah is saying this ruler to come, he's going to bring about the good old days. He's going to remind us of those ancient days. Now, when was it, when was it for Israel, for God's people, when they had a ruler who ruled in a way that all was the way it ought to be? When, when, there was, when there was a united nation and there was great joy in the king. Oh, that would be King David. The greatest king Israel ever had. How long ago was that, those ancient days? 250 years before. If this prophecy is occurring in 722, you count back 250 years, you're at the end of King David's reign. 250 years, that's the same distance between us and George Washington. That's the, the beginning of our great nation, right? The, the time of the revolution, when, when a few good men, a band of brothers brought our nation to existence. That's, that's the way they're reflecting here. There's a ruler coming who's going to bring about the glory of the ancient days. He's going to be a king in the line of David. And he's coming from David's town. He's coming from Bethlehem Ephrathah. That's the surprise. Israel would have thought, well, the the king's going to come from Jerusalem. I mean, that's where the action was. That's where the temple was. That's where the priests were. That's where the prophets worked. That's where the king was. If something big was going to happen, it would happen in the big city. It would happen in Jerusalem, not in this, this, this out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. No, Micah says. No, here's the surprise. The Messiah is going to come from little Bethlehem, a town that didn't even show up in the mapping of, of the first Israelites who came to the promised land in old Joshua's day. And this ruler, he's coming to bring hope. He's going to bring the good old days again. How is he going to do that? Well, through restoration. That's the second surprise. The ruler is coming to restore. He's not going to keep them from going into exile. Well, That's what verse 3 says. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time. So he'll give them up. They'll head off into exile until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. God's people will go into exile as they do in 586 BC, 160 years after Micah prophesies. They do go in exile, but here's the hopeful word. There would be a king who comes, a ruler who comes, who will ultimately bring them back and restore them once again. And he will do so when she who is in labor has given birth. Who's she? Who, who is the she who's given, who's in labor giving birth? I think in the context, it's God's remnant people, those who return after the exile out of out of the people of God, those who return from the exile. The promised Messiah, the one who rules in the line of David, this ruler will come. But we can't help but hear another she, a particular she, the one of whom Isaiah prophesied: "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son." and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And so after the exile, God's faithful people, and especially one particular virgin, will bring forth the promised ruler out of this small forgotten town called Bethlehem. And this ruler will restore all things. He will gather his people together. Israel and Judah brought back together one people around a Davidic king, but more everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Jew or Gentile, black or brown or white, male or female, all one in this ruler to come. All will be put back together again. All will be restored. But there's a third surprise. This ruler who comes to restore, he will ultimately rule and he will rule in a way that shepherds his people Israel. That's what the first part of verse 4 says, right? And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. He shall stand firm, immovable, uh, unshakable, and he shall shepherd his flock. That language of shepherding his flock is attached to the Lord, of course. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And later in the prophets, God himself says, I will shepherd my people, Ezekiel 34. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And so here in Micah's prophecy, in fact, he will rule over God's people and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord. In the the majesty, in the name of the Lord is God. His strength and authority for shepherding, ruling over God's people will come from God himself. His rule will in fact be God's rule over God's people. And what's the last surprise? The result. The result will be glorious. It's the rest of verse four. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. Just as as sheep are secure in the knowledge that there's no possible attacks from enemies because the shepherd is there. So it will be for God's people. And that's because the Messiah, the Davidic king, won't simply rule over Israel. He will rule over the entire world. That's the prayer of Psalm 72 realized. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. And that'll happen because he himself will be peace. This person, this king will be shalom. To know him will to know be to know wholeness and to know well being. Peace on earth will come through him. Friends, this kind of hope about a ruler who comes unlooked for out of a of a small place who restores all things through his rule as he shepherds his people, not just Israel, but the nations, in such a way that that peace on earth might come? That's a shocking hope, especially as we look at our world. Not just our world out there, but our, our own worlds. To believe that there is such a ruler, such a king, in the midst of so much pain and sorrow, it's almost beyond what we can do, isn't it? To believe there is such a king who could come, such a ruler who would come to bring peace on earth, isn't it too much? Can you be surprised by that kind of hope? To hope that there is such a king? Can you afford not to be surprised by that kind of hope tonight? It was a really dark night. A dark night and yet the the meteorological tables if you trace them back will tell you there was actually a full moon on that particular night and the shepherds were laying themselves down they had minded their own business they always do they're at the bottom of of the social scale and they were plying their craft not outside the big city jerusalem but outside this forgotten town called bethlehem they just pinned up their sheep for the night they had drawn lots, because who wants to get the, the third watch of the night every time? And so they'd drawn lots, and having divvied up the watches, the first watch got settled down. The other two watches of the night went and unrolled their mats and made themselves as comfortable as they could. They weren't just shepherds. But they were religious men, too. Of course, everyone who was a Jew and under the rule of Rome had some affiliation to Jerusalem and to the temple and and to the the ancient promises. Of course, being religious didn't seem like there was much point. After all, it had been 420 years or so since God had spoken. 722 years since Micah had prophesied. They had returned from exile, but they were... They never had their king again. Never had the Davidic promises realized. They'd gone from Babylon to Medo Persia, from Greece to the breakup of the Greek Empire to the Romans. Never had their king. And so they just simply kept their heads down. That was the safe thing for those at the bottom of the social scale to do. Business as usual. Don't worry about the bigwigs in Jerusalem hobnobbing with the Romans. Their leaders were corrupt. Herod corrupted them as well. These shepherds were just minding their business. It was a night like like almost any night on those hills outside of Bethlehem. And they were just trying to get some sleep. Don't get your hopes up. It's just easier that way. Well, it's getting close to midnight now. And and the first watch was coming to an end. There was going to be a shift change The next watch was waking up. The first watch was handing things over. When when suddenly the the skies lit up like a like a laser light show. They were filled with light that was different than any kind of light they had ever seen. It was glorious. And a being that they had never seen before was standing in front of them. And he was glorious and luminous and amazing. It was shocking and surprising, and honestly, it was kind of frightening. But the words, the words, they were even more surprising. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What? In Bethlehem? Our small, inconsequential town, that crossroads that few people come to and few people want to come to. A, a Savior has been born there, the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What? Are we supposed to go and see him? Not the bigwigs, not the priests, the, the judges, the scribes, the seminary professors? You want shepherds to go and see the Messiah? And suddenly, there was with this angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They were surprised by hope, these shepherds. But notice they were surprised by Micah's hope. The prophecy that their small town would produce a ruler that would restore God's people. People and rule over all the peoples in such a way that would bring peace. Now, friends, you know this. You're familiar with it. But tonight, I ask you again, can you afford not to be surprised by the hope that this offers you? In the midst of your sorrows, in the midst of your pain and your brokenness, in the midst of your sin and humiliation, my friend, there's hope for you this evening. There's Christmas hope because Jesus the Savior the Davidic king, the Messiah, the Lord, he's come. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, he came. But he's also here. He's coming to you tonight. He desires to like, to lodge in your heart, and he's coming again. There's coming a day, a day when King Jesus shall return in all of his glory, and the knees shall bow and the tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's come to make, and he's coming to make things right and new. He's coming to make all things new. And he wants to start with you. A small person, perhaps from a small town. He wants to start with you. He wants to make you new. And so will you say tonight, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there's room in my heart for you. Will you hope again? Please pray with me. Almighty God, we do bless you for these great promises of the Old Testament that tell us over and over and over again of our coming Savior, the Messiah, the King. But Lord, help us not to become too comfortable with them. May we we have the the space to become surprised in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our nights. Surprise us with hope again concerning this child who's come to rescue us. Lord, please do your work this night, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to